You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. Four, three, two, and one, ladies and gentlemen, episode 38 of the Art of Move podcast with myself, Anthony Manuel, my good friend, Dr. William Raybar, we're out here in the Canadian Rockies, still trying to find the grand unified theory of human movement and biomechanics. Today is going to be just a kind of off the cuff episode. We uh, we signed on today and said, hey, what, what, what do you want to talk about? And neither of us really kind of had a specific topic planned. We have some really cool guests coming up next week. Uh, we have Stillness Academy and One of a Kind Fitness coming on on Monday to debate the spinal engine. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, spinal mechanics and how you should train, um, you know, so, some some sort of locomotive relevant aspects of this of spinal movement today. But uh, we we have them coming on Monday. Next Thursday we have Go to Bam, so a Go to Coach and one of the kind of maestros behind all of the great content and the video work of Go to Movement is going to be coming on to talk about life, Go to and philosophy. Just uh, you know, kind of more of a casual conversation as opposed to a technical one. I, I invited him on to a podcast recently to be part of the debate, and he's like, "No, nah, dude, I'm a mover. I don't read books. I just move." <laughs> so we're going to talk about just movement and less about like technical details about biomechanics with him, and maybe talk about how he approaches coaching Goda as well. And uh, and yeah, today we're just going to kind of go a little off the cuff. If there's anyone who signs on to NoFilter.net and is watching this live, feel free to ask questions as we go. Um, I know you've been thinking a lot about Spinal Engine because that uh, that sort of comments back and forth with One of a Kind Fitness and Stillness Academy kind of got us thinking a lot about the Spinal Engine. But what have you been thinking about the last couple of days? Well, I've I've been thinking about that. And, and I mean, I'm pretty sure it was two nights ago that uh, that comment came in where, you know, we were discussing the Spinal Engine. We'll get into it uh, on Monday. But um, I did see a Gota video and it was coach Ricky and I usually 99% of what he's saying I'm like oh I like that right but mm -hmm. this time he was talking about not really focusing on the spinal engine which actually I agree with right off the get-go for a regular trainer a regular athlete you don't really need to know about it and it's not the first thing I would teach a uh, beginner uh, I just wouldn't go there right right um, but to hit the next level I would definitely cue the spine and I would definitely work with uh, harnessing the fascial recoils of the spine. If you want to call that spinal engine, uh, mm -hmm. I should say spine and pelvis, um, and use your head as a, uh, a way to balance your body. Okay. So in boxing, I do that. I move laterally and I know where my head is at any point to me, that's <coughs> harnessing the fascial recoils and the timing I need to whip myself in another direction. So mm. for the next level of movement to be able to be 360, you need to know how to harness that. And if, whatever you want to call it, spinal engine. Um, I know there's a, you know, a little bit of a beef with the terminology. Um, mm. The spinal engine is pelvis, spine, head even, right? And, uh, and the fascial recoils that happen between the rib cage and the pelvis, right? So mm. it is about positions. It is about recoils. It is about um, being head over foot in like uh, in balance. And for most people, they don't need to get into super technical detail with it. So right. on one end, I agreed with Ricky. On the other end, I'm like, well, you know, on the next level of it, you do need to learn it. Yeah, I, try, I tried pulling it up, but I can't, uh, I can't actually, it's, it's embedded in Instagram, so I can't share it the same way I can share YouTube videos on no filter. But um, one of the things, you know, I've thought about that a lot because when you're doing Gota and you're doing a drop-in, for example, you're setting a bow there is a little bit of a lateral, like it's a minor lateral bend at in the spine that happens, right? Like if you set the bow properly, your spine will wave from side to side if you're going from bow corner, bow corner from side to side. So the, the spinal engine kind of takes care of itself. If you're back chain dominant, you get that decompression, you, you start to have that spinal length, you start to increase your spinal mobility the more that you're doing this drop-in work. If you're doing crawls and you're waving your spine to, you know, bow and corner in, in the crawling position, crawling especially emulates uh, a sort of spine dominant locomotive uh, action because you have opposite arms and legs moving forward at the same time, which naturally, 
you know, compresses and extends your spine in, in opposite directions. And you can really, I, I played with, uh, I, was, I just did like a half hour, like 45 minute movement practice before we signed on. And I was playing with some crawling and I was really trying to see, it's like, can I, can I make it like use of this elastic recoil when I'm crawling? And I could, like, I was trying to like crawl from, you know, one end of my house to the other as fast as I could, uh, without, you know, trying to drive through my limbs. And I did find that the more that I was waving my spine, the faster I was able to go with, with less fatigue. Right. And that's, you know, that's just efficiency of movement. But, you know, I think the question is how much direct work do you have to, when, when a lot of people think of spinal engine, I mean, the, the wording, like you said, the wording can kind of confuse people because an engine is like a core originator of movement and you're not like necessarily starting like I don't think you start your movement necessarily just from the spine. There's, there's all kinds of different things that happen simultaneously to initiate movement in the limbs, in the pelvis, in the shoulders and through the spine. I think when you, when you reduce, and we're going to talk about all this, we're going to debate this with, um, with one of a kind fitness and stillness Academy on Monday, we're going to get really, really in depth. But I think my own position that, that I'm kind of in is the, the the term spinal engine is just it's it's a word and it's almost like a misnomer because it assumes that the spine is the isolated driver of movement where you know even Serge Grakovetsky talks about the you know the the pelvic complex being part of it it's the relationship between the shoulder spine and pelvis and the and the counter rotations that happen therein all the different connective tissues that account for that i think you know, there is no one part of your body. This is the the whole like reductionist breaking down the body into different parts mentality that a lot of people kind of fall into. It's like, you know, you have back day, chest day, leg day. It's like the, the whole, like we've talked about this in many of our other episodes that movement and locomotive movement in particular is a synergy of multiple things happening at once. There is no single origin. The, the you know, the, the, it, it's greater than the sum of its parts. Movement is greater than the sum of its parts. So you can't just say it's like, it's just the spine or it's, you know, it's originating from, you know, the drive and antagonistic muscles creating elastic recoil. Like you can't say that it's just one thing. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to unpack there. There a few things come to mind. What level are we debating here? Uh, and I'm not talking about Monday's debate. I'm, I'm talking about, is it brace the core versus spinal engine? To me, that's the primary debate that needs to happen uh, amongst the fitness industry, right? Where is your spine contributing to the movement e even, right? Because the uh, spine being a passive column means that you can brace the core and keep it centered. That's what you're supposed to do in a cue. However, and I don't cue that. I cue the movement of the head matching the step, right? So that doesn't mean a huge lateral bend. It just means matching what your foot is doing, right? Mm. Then when you're going three, like um, three, three dimensional movements and complex movement, um, it becomes a lot more important to harness which way the fascia is going and, and to harness the control of the spine. Okay. So if you want to hit the next level, you really have to do that in my opinion. So when However, you're saying, hold on, I'm going to slow you, I'm going to slow you down for a second because control of sure. the spine means different things to different people, right? Like, yeah. like control of the spine in movement is going to be different than control of the spine the way that say an FRC practitioner would focus on individual segmentation. Um, their argument would be like, you shouldn't be trying to control your spine in fast movement. If you can't control it slow, you don't do, you don't attempt to do fast, what you can't do slow. I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think that's a universal. No. Um, but when you say you need greater control of your spine, is it adequate to practice specific patterns and movements that are relevant to your sport that you need better spinal control in, or would you, you know, not isolate the spine, but do specific work on your spine to, you know, mobilize and control it better. Well, I, I can tell you exactly what I do with my spine. And that's as a daily practice of just, um, keeping it healthy. Okay. Keeping it generally healthy. I move each part of my spine like a functional range conditioning practitioner. Well, I'll take the pelvis. I'll just rotate it in different planes of motion, just standing still, right? Takes 30 seconds. Same thing with mm. my thoracic spine. Same thing with my cervical spine. This is just a baseline. I, I think of it like brushing my teeth, right? So 
if I'm in one position, I'll move my pelvis for 30 seconds. That's the hmm. very, very baseline. And that's what I would get any person to do. Right. But that's a, about as far as the FRC stuff applies for me personally. However, it's huge for a lot of my patients because they have zero control of it. But back to what I do. Um, yeah. So I move the pelvis, I move the T spine, I move the cervical spine. And then in actual motion, it acts together. Like you can't isolate them when you're actually moving. Okay. Hmm. So you have to. Uh, treat it like an elastic recoil and you have to time that recoil out to your balance point. And your balance point is when your head hits your foot. This is talking three-dimensional movements. Now, if you watch my Instagram, how I cut and move, it's, it's literally that I time out like there's a laser coming from my foot. And as soon as my head hits that point, I have a movement. Okay. Mm -hmm. At the exact split moment. So to me, that's harnessing the spinal engine in a three-dimensional uh, capacity. Again, the spinal engine being um, the pelvis and the spine. Here's the thing, though. The terminology, the word spinal engine, it does bring into the brain that the spine is doing the work, right? Mm -hmm. However, I didn't name it. Grekovetsky did, right? Yeah. So, like, I can't just change his, his theory, right? So, and I understand when you, instead of saying the spinal engine, like it's a theory, you just start saying spinal engine. And mm. then... You know, most people will just be like, the spine's the engine, right? So there is a little <laughs> bit of um, language barrier there. You really have to get into the weeds of it. Mm. And um, yeah, that's pretty much what I what I got to say about that. Yeah, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to Monday's discussion too because in one of a kind fitness's comment was that he's asserting that the spine is actually the primary driver of movement and that the limbs kind of follow the movement of the spine. Um, so it's almost like a center out approach of the origins of, of locomotive movement. So I'm kind of curious to see why he thinks that and what kind of he's bringing is if he's going to bring some some conversation on on that point. I you know when you're talking about uh, you know my own so my own spinal practice I started doing less rigid spine work because again I saw Ido Portal doing a lot of spinal waving and spinal undulation. Um, I started doing lizard crawls um, because a lot of the crawling on the ground stuff was, you know, I saw Ido Portal doing it, so I wanted to do it. Right, that was that was me. And then as I went further into gymnastics, it was a lot of J curls, so a lot of individual segmentation. Um, of flexion and extension and trying to individually articulate. I found that was kind of useful. That made my back feel pretty good after years of just like axial compression through squats and deadlifts alone. Um, so that felt really good. But, um, you know, this sort of rotary motion through the spine is not something that I've really trained directly before the last six months, right? I'd say probably even in the last four months since you taught me roping. And since I started practicing some of this movement, when I got into running, I'm finding that, you know, that, that lateral, you know, bouncing the head over the foot and that counter rotation at the shoulders and hips. I practice that while I run. I don't necessarily do that other than um, maybe if I'm doing rope flow or I'm doing drills and I'm just moving around, I'm doing like part of my movement practice. I use running as a way to train my spinal engine. And it really is just trying to get that undulation between the shoulders and the hips while landing my head over my foot and loading a bow like that. That's for me. Like I use running as a way to work the spinal engine and I don't do direct spinal engine work other than maybe a little bit of roping. I'll, I'll use roping as a warm up to go for a run because I pattern that counter rotation, that movement. And then it's familiar for me when I start, you know, putting it into motion and I start running you know, at uh, like a six mile per hour pace, I can still maintain that rhythm, but I don't do direct work for the spinal engine necessarily. I will do direct work to, um, mobilize fascia and I'll do myofascial release and I'll, I'll you know, like there are still, you know, there's so much tightness through my whole upper body that, that inhibits the mobility of my spine. I mean, like I said, I, I power lifted for years you can, you know, you can go back and listen to the episodes where we talked about our training history, but I'm still really bound up. You, you've been uh, kind of more in the natural movement world for maybe a couple of years longer than I have. Realistically, I've still been, you know, I was still doing lifting and CrossFit and, you know, still squatting, you know, close to 400 pounds or more up to, you know, a little more than a year ago. Yeah. Like, um, so the, 
the first step, there's levels to this, right? The first step really is recognizing that you can move you out of the, um, you know, that rigid core, right? So forget about the terminology, spinal engine or, or whatnot for the person. It's like, are you allowing your spine to move from side to side? That doesn't take a lot of cueing uh, in that, you know, when you're teaching it, like, let's say as a, a go-to practitioner, what coach Ricky's argument was that you don't really need to even think about it. That's absolutely true. If you just let your spine do its motion and that's it, that's for most people that will be completely fine. However, like it, how I work it and my favorite thing to do is do lateral motions. Like I'm uh, slipping and boxing. And when you're doing that, you're getting into the bow really fast and that whips your, the top of your body over as well. So I have to control the top of my body with that elastic recoil that my ribs have, and I sink it into the bow and I can use that to propel a punch or I can use it to propel a movement. Mike Tyson does this really well on like when he uh, dodges and he goes in for the hook, right? Mm. That's really what he's doing. I, I posted a Cody Garbrandt doing it the other day on my Insta stories. Um, any good fighter is going to do it. And that's really harnessing the spinal engine and lateral motion using a boxing application. The first time I, I came across spinal engine, my core was super rigid. It was David Weck and he mm. just like head over foot. And that's all I needed and to try it out a few times. And it immediately felt way, way more intuitive and way better. And I was able to harness like when you side bend, and I don't know if I completely agree with Weck's how much he side bends, but you can use the side bend as a way to recoil and have your head beyond your foot. Okay. So the, like, again, we're talking next level here. I wouldn't teach a beginner this, but I can use that and step and har and harness that elasticity to propel myself the other way. Mm. Kind of like the same way in boxing when I land in the bow. Okay. So I can, yeah, I, I mean, so I can do it when I run. Right. Yeah. And I find, um, you know, that, that, that cue head over foot, for one of the things that I think is limited with it, it's like, obviously it'd be nice if you can just, you know, laterally bend and you can intuitively understand that you're, you're pulling into the hips, you're, you're bowing into the hips and your head lands over your foot. Cause there's that slight lateral bend, but some people with really rigid cores who aren't used to any lateral bending can shift their hips to the side to, to stack, you know, like you might have a really rigid core and not understand that head over foot comes from a slight lateral bend and a slight rotation in from the, like you, you might not drop your shoulder a little bit to get that bend as you're, as you're bowing into the side, right? Like you can, you can misinterpret the cue head over foot. So even just like cueing people a little bit of a, like, that's why I found the roping so helpful was it cued that figure eight pattern that happens at the shoulders and at the hip, like, obviously it happens at the hips as well. It's a counter counter rotating, um, uh, pattern that, that coordinates with each other, but that that sort of figure eight pattern is, is hard to kind of pick up on if if your core is rigid and you're just laterally shifting your hips from side to side and you're still keeping like if you've done a ton of anti-rotation training and a ton of you know stiff core rigidity training you know core stability training and you've you've like you might just be like taking that head over foot cue and doing lateral hip shifting yeah, it's, it's not going to be smooth until you let that part of your body go, right? Mm -hmm. Like actually allowing that thoracic spine to be a gyroscope. That's when the, the figure eights become smooth, right? And it does take a lot. Like I was rigid for 10, 15 years, right? And it doesn't just let go right away. And it's becoming smoother and smoother. I'm getting, you know, different feels in there where I'm, I'm using it in a run and I can harness it in different ways. Um, I got a lot, there, there was like the 80, 20 thing. As soon as I hit that head over foot cue from Weck, that mm. was where it, it was 80, 20. I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun again. Like running became fun again when I did that because you're using the elastic recoils and then you can play with that. Right. So, um, another thing that you mentioned in a criticism of Weck would be when you side bend a lot, you tend to bring your hip forward. So you're mm. working that like front chain dominant position in the side bend. Like, and that's the criticism of the, like a lot of people have of the coil that he does. Mm. So I learned side bend with the coil with Wex Royal coil, which is where you pack your lat down on the same side that you're bending. So you get this lower lat firing and, and that's 
could be a driver of movement, right? I played with that for years because Weck was always like the lats or the driver or the feet of the upper body, basically, right? That, mm. may, that may not be the perfect quote, but that was basically it. And you can really feel that, right? Like when you're running and you're feeling that lat, like it, it, it's not exactly tight. You're using it in like a wave. If you ever mm. watch Naudi Aguilar's slow motion and you see like a wave go through his body because, you know, his fascia is loose, but uh transferring energy mm -hmm. so um that's what i'm feeling in the lats as i go or trying to feel okay but the problem was when i was practicing it i was going front chain and i definitely was doing that so it can be improved by really pushing back in your hip that's the wex side bend however is that even the best way to do it i replaced it with the bow personally right so that's just a, a little insight on the on the training history of the uh, side bend yeah. I mean, I, I never actually trained the side bend at all. The closest thing that I got was when I was doing the ATG system, Ben Patrick had a couple of, uh, you know, YouTube videos about doing side bend and lateral work. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try that. And I threw it in every couple of sessions, but, um, you know, it wasn't even programmed into the prescriptive programs that I was doing. Right. So, um, I, I didn't have any experience with the side bend necessarily, even doing the ropes was kind of the first introduction and you know like i mentioned it last episode like my fascia is so tight that when i laterally bend it pushes air out of my lungs like if i just that's not me breathing that's me pumping air just through a lateral bend it's really really weird and i'm still trying to undo that but that's like from you know so much lap packing from deadlifts and and front lever work and and so much compressive front chain work it's just literally pumps air out of my system when I laterally bend. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Actually, um, your ribs must be super compressed. Mine were yeah. for the longest time. And, and that's still an area of my body that needs a lot of work because for so long, the ribs are compressed. It's hard to transfer energy efficiently and correctly through that area when, when everything's bound up and, and tight. Right. So that does take a little while to unwind. It is a good idea to do myofascial work in that area um i i literally cut my ribs with giant cups high power okay. and uh i do stretching maneuvers right or just i shouldn't say stretching i usually reach and just feel the end range it's kind of like frc work in the end range mm. and uh and then i'll go for a run right like i don't go too crazy with uh with the frc stuff meaning the isolated movements in each part i use mm. it more for just feel and then i'll go and do an actual movement yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of the same at this point. I don't do a ton of, I don't do it like I I can picture myself. I was contemplating adding in a lot more loaded end range stuff just to play with, and uh, you know, see if I could optimize a little bit more of my resting posture. So I wanted to do some loaded, uh, you know, quad stretches again so that I could get my stays. Uh, it does require me to go into my front chain quite a bit, but. Um, you know, a lot of the flexibility work that I learned from Lucas Aaron is still incredibly relevant to me. And I'm probably going to end up, you know, once my shoulder's a little bit better, I want to do a little bit more of it and throw it in and see if I can, you know, incorporate some of the principles that I've started learning from Goda while also training loaded flexibility and loaded, uh, loaded stuff. And also just as a test to see how it affects my running biomechanics. I mean, my running biomechanics have gotten a lot better. I've gotten some really good feedback from even go to coaches who have watched some of my slow-mo video. And I, you know, I fixed some pre-cornering issues that I had and I fixed some, uh, you know, like not being able to load my bow properly. And uh, like, even with my shoulder, not being able to fully sling back in the run because of the surgery, like I've, I've even made progress on that, but I'm kind of curious. It's like, okay, what will doing some of this loaded flexibility work? Cause I know a lot of it is done uh, you know, in, in these isolated planes, it's not necessarily done in three-dimensional movements, especially because it's static holds and stuff. It's like, is that going to transfer to three-dimensional movement? Is that going to affect my gait cycle? I'm really, you know, I, I've, I've always used myself as a guinea pig, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more curious than anything. It's interesting. It could like, I mean, those are open questions, right? Like you can look at the research, research will say one thing, but in your, in your body, who knows, right? Like it's, it's good to experiment when you know this kind of like next level info, it's like, go try it yourself. That's the way to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Um, 
yeah, that's pretty much what I have to say about that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to rewind a little bit back because you were talking about the spine when you're, when you're kind of moving from one place to another and you're taking advantage of that elastic recoil in boxing, for example, you know, you load that movement and you can either transfer it into unloading a punch or unloading into a different foot placement or anything. One of the things that you and I were talking about a while back, not on a podcast, um, you were showing me how you can lead movement with the head. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about that and see how that fits into spinal engine. Cause again, if you're initiating movement from the head as the, the sort of center point, and we're talking about, you know, the spine being the originator of the movement, how does that kind of tie in together? Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm initiating movement with anything. Like I'm even <laughs> with spine, I'm not like the spine's never isolated. Right. Yeah. So I'm not initiating movement with my head, but what I am doing is purposely thinking of it as an internal cue for control, because that to me is the easiest balance way to balance basically at a high speed. So I think like literally there's lasers coming from my fourth and fifth metatarsal. <laughs> and as soon as my head hits one of those lasers, I'm in balance. I can throw power. I only have to think of one cue and I can be ripping around really fast and then still do the maneuver. Right. And then from there, it's putting on more and more complex footwork. That's just like a, a shadow boxing thing that I do that's really fun, right? Mm. But it also is harnessing that uh, elasticity from the spine and using my head as a way to, I can accelerate it. I can decelerate it, although I don't really like to do that. I can use it as a, a whip. I can whip it forward fast and match my footwork so that it whips my body forward fast, right? So. Mm there's a lot of different things you can do and you, it acts much like a figure eight itself. Okay. Now think head? like, like your, your head yeah. movement does. Yeah. Like in, in okay. boxing, I can dip to one side and then duck my head under. Okay. And that's like the figure eight and I can keep that motion going. You can kind of see it here. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like a gyroscope as well. Like you, I can move my thoracic spine without moving my head or I can move my head with my thoracic spine. If I just take it with now, the way I see the head being the cue is that, the head's like on top and it's whipping around and it's taking the spine with it. And the fascial recoils are happening every time the spine bends. Okay. So I'm just leading from the top and that makes it like a pendulum. I hate the core pendulum theory name, but it is like a pendulum that's upside down. Right. Mm -hmm. And instead of the rope, you know, when a pendulum swings, it's the balls at the bottom yep. and the rope is, is pulling it. Instead of that, now we have an elastic, same thing, like uh, the spine with elastics on each side and the, the head is like that pendulum, mm. okay? And I can use the elastic recoils at each side to propel myself in any direction. Um, and then when you do it in three-dimensional motions, it's not just back and forth anymore. It becomes in any plane, in any cardinal plane. Mm. Then on the next level, if you match your feet with that, you can start playing with the cardinal planes and pretty much endlessly move. Um, that's what I'm playing with right now. Um, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. For, for those who don't know, what are the cardinal planes? Okay, so it's like uh, northwest, east, south, right? Mm -hmm. if, I'm, if I'm just standing there, um, let's pretend I'm, I'm facing the north. To the back of me is the south, east, west. I can turn my body in any one of those planes um, using momentum and using the way my feet are angled. Okay. And I can do it in a smooth way. Like I don't have to turn like a, a robot. It's like an instant turn. And I, once you start getting the flow, you can use the fascial recoils of your body to propel you in different planes. And it's like, you're facing different directions quickly. Mm. Like it's almost like a ninja thing where you're fighting five guys at once from every direction. Right. But I'm just practicing the footwork at this point. I'm just getting it now. Right. But the ropes, led me to that because in the rope, if you're swinging the rope forward and you keep swinging the rope, but you turn your body, then you're swinging the rope in the opposite way. It goes clockwise to counterclockwise. Mm -hmm. You've done nothing but turn your body, but the rope is now swinging the opposite direction. Okay. So that, that kind of taught me how to harness that. And then I found the footwork for it and now I'm just playing with that. That's cool. So it's kind of like being able to turn your whole center of gravity rotate it smooth and maintain your center of gravity and maintain your balance. Yeah. Like as long as your head is like between your feet, when you have two feet on the ground, okay. In let's say boxing two feet on the ground, 
your head can be between your feet. You're not going to be in balance when you lift a foot, but when at the exact moment that both feet are on the ground, you'll be in balance. Okay. Mm. But in order to be in balance, as I move and I have one foot on the ground, my head has to be over that foot. So I'm matching right. those and I'm matching footwork specific to moving in those cardinal planes now. And that's, that's very go to footwork. That's very like internal, you know, using two bows at the same time, or sorry, using two corners at the same time, using two bows at the same time. I'm thinking corner, corner, bow, corner, bow, 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 corner. Right. So, um, it's, it's interesting. I'm playing with that right now. Right. And, uh, I'll get back to you on that. Yeah, that'll be cool. You should make a, make a video and post it on the art of move Instagram page. I, I kind of did before I was like when I was just playing with it, it it's a mm -hmm. boxing video way back. Um, and I'm just moving in different planes, but it kind of looks clunky to me now. And a person watching right. it would probably be like, what the hell is he doing? But I think it's a lot smoother um, now, right? So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and so when when you're thinking of like other than boxing, real-world applications, what scenario do you see someone using that that transference of energy or that changing of directions in? Uh, any any sport where you have to change direction or any time you have to change direction, right? Like a, a running back, you'll see the upper body lag a little bit, right? Like um, in the motion, if he's planting really hard, you'll see a, a more of a bend than usual. It's not going to be like 22.5 to 22.5 or like, you know, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be the person pushing as far, hard as he can. Hopefully it's inside ankle bone high, like outside of your foot, right? And you can use the direction and the momentum of the upper body and the fascial recoils to propel you in a direction or help you move in that direction. Right. Mm. So you don't want to ever be working against yourself. That's the key. Now, again, we're, we're talking, you know, kind of next level with it. If you're just walking, I don't have to tell you how to move your spine. It's just like, let it relax. And, uh, you know, I would put other cues way higher than that. Okay. <laughs> but if I'm talking to a running back or I'm talking to like somebody who has to cut and pivot, I want to teach them uh, ninja level head over foot uh, ninja level. You know, the pendulum I was talking about before how to harness the recoils, not just get range of motion, not just like sit on a bench and, and let your ribs elongate. Although that might be like something I do for 30 seconds or a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah so like it, it's really about harnessing recoils, balance, momentum, and uh footwork mm. it's funny because i can i can picture myself doing something like you know being on a, a bench with a foam roller to extend my ribs out just because i'm so compressed in that in that way that you know getting to a baseline there basically the way that i started looking at flexibility and end range training and all this stuff is to if you've done a bunch of damage to your posture either from sitting all day or from lifting or from you know patterning improper patterns and and you know you have these maybe like tissue adhesions from repetitive behaviors that you can use that as a prescriptive tool as opposed to like you know the, the actual core of your movement practice like i used to use end range training and flexibility and stretching as my movement practice itself. And now it's kind of like, okay, here's, here's a problem. Here's a tool in my toolbox that I can use to get back to a baseline. But the, you know, once I'm at that baseline, I want my practice to be oriented around actual movement through space. I don't want it to, I don't want to stay in a place where I'm spending, you know, 90 seconds to two minutes in a stretch, or, you know, I don't want to be doing a ton of just like foam rolling or end range conditioning work all the time as what I do. Because first of all, that's that's boring to have to do and maintain all the time. It's like the 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 point of it is is just to do it. You know, it becomes its own point eventually. And you know, while I enjoy training, while I enjoy making progress, I think you know the prescriptive approach where it's like here's here's a problem that is inhibiting your movement and making you less efficient. You can use this tool, but keep practicing the movement as you improve your range, as you you know decrease those adhesions. I think that's a great way to look at it. Like, uh, adding in prescriptive, um, uh, prescriptive movement or like, let's say foam rolling or uh, not foam rolling, but rolling in general, myofascial release, mm. um, certain end range strength work. Um, yeah, why not? Right. That's a great way to put it. Shouldn't it's not movement itself. That's the thing, right? Like if you want to do be better at moving through space, eventually it's got to get to that. Right. So I see a lot of the Instagram, um, 
you know, trainers, they're all in the gym. Like it's always equipment. And when does it ever get away from the equipment? A lot of times it's okay. We've maximized what we can do in the gym and now go to your trainer in the, your specialized sport. Right. Mm -hmm. But for the average person, they don't have that. Eventually, like I think movement should be higher priority versus going to just going to the gym. Right. If you want to be better at movement, you have to do movement itself. You have to, have to get there. <laughs> yeah. Even with the FRC stuff, it's the same thing, right? Like, um, I, I saw a post by Andreano Spina today and it's just like, you want to master the control, the control. It's like, how much control do you need in a static way? How much do you need to be yeah. able to move your hip? Like, you know how they do in FRC where they're just like moving, they're on the ground in that 90, 90 position. They're just lifting their hips like two inches. Mm. It's like, that's sweet for a little bit right like a couple minutes just feeling out the muscles feeling them turn on but when are you actually moving like where's the movement yeah well i mean like are you yeah. going to spend an hour doing that just to improve your end range mobility like again if you have maybe if you have a major issue that requires you to you know heal a joint or like i'm doing a lot more controlled articular rotations with my shoulder right now just because that that blood flow in the joint while i'm trying to heal the the, the surgery I'm two, I'm two months in, I was told a four month recovery, right. Before I can do, you know, harder stuff. But like, I, like, even with that, it's like, I'll spend maximum 10, 15 minutes doing it. And then maybe, you know, a half hour, every couple of days of doing like actual strength work for it to strengthen it. But the rest is just like, I'm just moving. Like I, I I'm, I'm still working those figure eight patterns. I'm still working the elastic recoil in my run. I'm still, uh, you know, I'm uh, like my goal right now is to get to a point where I can hang from a bar and have a, you know, an easy overhead reach position, maybe better scapular tracking because I, you know, my lats are so locked up still. Um, but I don't want to spend an hour just like slowly against a wall, trying to like rotate my arm and like shaking and creating as much irradiation as possible. Because when I go to move, I'm still irradiating and I'm still trying to get that. Like, I don't know, like it doesn't translate too, too well for me. It works as so a what tool the, for recovery. What does irradiation mean to you? Mm. So irradiation to me means to create tension, as much tension as possible to increase nervous system output. So, so when's that happening in real life? <laughs> Again, like when you're lifting a lot of weight, like that's, that's about it. Yeah. And, and I get it. Like, because the science says that when you create tension in your core, that you can move your limbs a little bit better, but uh, you know what I mean? Like I can isolate my, uh, glenohumeral joint, my shoulder ball in the socket, uh, a little bit more according to science when my core is tight. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm irradiating my whole body and I'm just transferring the energy to that point. But again, like I want to transfer that into smooth motion at some point. I don't think they address that in FRC itself. They're like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to make your shoulder a shoulder. The glenohumeral joint is going to move to the max. Now, now you're able to do whatever you're doing better. You're going to have a better template for it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I buy that argument to a degree and I do like, I think it's more valuable in people with pain or mm -hmm. people who've never even thought about doing it, even getting the awareness and the, um, energy and the thought to be flowing to a certain area is going to help you. And, and yeah. awareness is one of the biggest things, right? So in that way, it's great for people in pain and people who don't have great control over the body, but eventually for like the next level, you have to get like, you have to do the actual movements. You have to make them smooth. You have to make them coordinate, dance together. It's just that system doesn't seem complete to me for that. Uh, application. No, again, it's, it's very, it's very, uh, problem-based prescriptive to me. And that's, that's ultimate, like you said, it's like, okay, maybe someone doesn't actually know how to activate certain parts or like their nervous system is so turned off because they've been so inactive that they need to actually know how to engage just basic movement patterns, like literally patterns that are, are bare bone basic without, you know, spending a ton of time just like slightly lifting their arm or something. I, I, I don't really know. Like, again, FRC has been useful for me in the context of lifting it's been useful for me in the context of joint healing when i've had injuries um but it's boring <laughs> it's really really boring um the other well, the the other instance where i could think of irradiation as being somewhat irradiation as being somewhat useful is i used it for flexibility 
And so I was able to access certain end ranges. And when I was trying to actually gain passive flexibility as well, like the ability to relax in certain ranges was I would create as much tension as possible and then actively let that go. And so I was able to teach my body to switch from tension to relaxation, which I think is a skill in itself. The issue is you still want to be able to sequence. I was listening to one of our old episodes and you were talking about the sequencing of, of muscles firing properly as being like more important than the actual muscle firing, right? Like, so being able to transfer, like when you're taking a step, being able to transfer tension from that, that loading up the side of your leg, that bow oriented loading and spiral that movement out is more important than being able to flex your glute actively and just create tension in your glute to propel you forward. Uh, Like that for me made, made a lot of sense, but even like most people don't know how to turn themselves off. You know, most people don't know how to let go of tension in their body. And I think like that was, that's what I used irradiation for most recently, other than, other than just like pure strength capacity was, was creating tension and then releasing it so that my body knew how to relax. Uh, that's a very good point. And I actually, I do play with tensions myself. I've been off of it a little bit lately, not because I don't believe in it. It's because I do so much experimenting that sometimes I just, you know, drop one thing and get to the other. I'll do three months of breathing, three months of eye work. You know, it, it goes in seasons almost when you're doing so much. Okay. But um, yeah, yeah it, it's a very good point. You can use tension as a tool, right? So uh, I don't know who said it. I think this guy, Ken Wheeler on YouTube, love him. He's a mm. physicist. Um, he was talking about pressure mediation being a big theme in, in like the universe, you know, uh, it pressure, everything's about pressure mediation is like one of his general themes. Right. And the, I find that in the body as well. It's, it's a series of tensions and compressions causing pressure. You got to figure out what's compressing, what's tensing. Um, the go to stuff to me is really the shortcut to getting out of that compressive tension um, loop where you're constantly doing Kelly Starrett type um, stretches, mobility, bands um, to mediate the pressure that comes from what you're doing all day versus mm. just not getting the pressure in the first place, right? So in the office, when I'm working with patients, it is I'm thinking pressure mediation. Where's the tension? How can I release the nervous system and the mechanical tension in this area that is bound up? Okay. Um, I did see a a post and I tried not to to bring up Monday's debate, but one of the things that uh, was interesting was the CNS uh, activating muscles in the back. Now that absolutely does happen, right? Like we're not even talking about spinal engine right now. We're talking about just mediation of the musculature in the back. So to me, when you don't have proper fascial recoils, your muscles will closer to the spine will start tensing up. This is what I observe. Mm. Okay. So I see this with a lot of yoga people and a lot of hyper flexible people who come in, I'll feel flaccid muscle. I'll get close to the spine and it's like a rock. Mm. And I'm like, Hmm, this person has to slow themselves down using their musculature and, and control themselves using the musculature because the fascial recoils aren't closing the joints or, or helping the mitigate the forces that happen when you're moving. Okay. So that's one of the major things that I see within pressure in hyper flaccid and people who can move a lot. Right. It's one of the issues that comes up with that. So what kind of um, behaviors or scenarios would sort of condition your body to be in that state? Um, Stretching a lot or being, you know, naturally, if you're very, very flexible, there's, you know, a good percentage of the population, maybe 5% who's just, insanely flexible from a young age right Mm. and uh you have certain like muscles and fascia closed joints so if you're a power lifter your lats are coming down to your glutes and making that x shape at the uh, thoracolumbar fascia and it's pushing against your pelvis it's actually closing those joints okay so it's making you more stable at the cost of being able to you know move very very intricately Okay. So your joint, your joints are more stable. You are a more stable person, but on the other end of the spectrum, we have like the, you know, the yogis who are like very, very, uh, um, long and they've made themselves into, uh, like basically they can't close their joints, with their fascia and their muscles anymore. So the intricate muscles closer to your spine have to tighten up. That's what I see. Right. So 
for me, the solution to that is to uh, integrate the fascia back in, make it more elastic, get them to do more bounding work. So you actually change the fibers, right? Easy bounding work and easy tension work, making them understand tension by just, you know, simple cueing. Because even with yogis, a lot of them can't even feel their hamstrings. They're like, yeah, I'm just, I'm going all the way down to the floor. I can put my head to the floor and, and nothing mm -hmm. is tensioning back there, right? You don't think at some point it's an issue? If it's an issue the other way, if everybody recognizes that insane amounts of tension will be an issue, but people don't recognize the other direction where in no tension is also yeah. an issue. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, that's just an, an observation there, right? So we, we got a, a viewer comment here and I wanted to kind of, get your take on it too. Cause I, I had some thoughts. Um, Efren was saying that he uses the treadmill with a slight incline to address the micro within the go to macro. This way I address these things while actually moving. I'll support my upper body using the front or sides of the treadmill. It feels like pushing a sled. And so I've done things where I'll do, I'll put the treadmill at the same thing at a slight incline or maybe not, maybe completely flat and I'll, I'll go, like like a, I set it to a one. He just said a very slow on the treadmill, like a one or a two speed. And I'll set the treadmill to like even below a one sometimes and do low walking drop-ins and really in that, like analyze my gait. One thing that I found was holding the front of the treadmill inhibited the movement of my shoulders a little bit. You still can, but I liked having the freedom to move my arms back and forth and not be locked into a stable, like maybe if I could turn the handles a little bit and I could actually get that same spinal undulation. But I found that for me personally, when I was, when I, when I do walking drop-ins and do that really slow, deliberate work, um, holding on to something, holding on to a stable surface inhibits my ability to actually wave my spine. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what he means exactly uh with the micro and the macro okay because i have my own idea about that too i i feel that as well but like everyone's gonna have their own internal internal cueing like that and mm -hmm. uh i almost separate like there's part there's times where i'm doing drop-ins where i'm just concentrating on my hip there's times where i go for walks for an hour where i'm just i'm in the zone i'm almost meditating with it and i'm just focusing on certain parts doing things you know so i can have that next level feel and then sometimes I just take it for a ride. Right. So there's, there's many levels you can do with, you know, go to drop-ins and, and, uh, just, you know, go to in general, the, yeah. you know, all the checklists that I usually say. So it's, it's interesting. One of the yeah. things, one of the things that, um, I, I started doing in terms of addressing the, the micro within the macro is I, the macro for me are just the universal principles. And then the micro is, is address, addressing how well you can execute on them. That's for me, that's my own practice. So I will take a slow motion video of myself running at the beginning of a session every time now. Like if I get a chance before I start training, if I have like an hour or so to train, the first five, 10 minutes is just like without any cueing or anything, just my, mo my natural run, where am I at? You know, going from living my life and working on my computer all day to going for a run, I'll, I'll hop on the treadmill, run it flat. I'll put it at a five and a half to a six and I'll just film myself in slow-mo and I'll see where I'm at. Maybe I'm not setting my bow properly. Maybe my uh, heel isn't turning away because I'm not cornering properly. Maybe there's, you know, maybe I don't have that same spinal movement and I'm not as coordinated in, in, you know, wrote that the, the hip and shoulders, depending on where I'm at and maybe I'm not actually dominant enough either. You know, maybe like that's the reason I'm not setting the bow depending on where I'm at. I'll look at that and that's how I'll design my session. And that's how I'll, you know, kind of measure my progress. It's like, this is my before I'm going to go in for a half an hour to an hour. And then I'm going to do a half hour run. I'm going to film myself running, you know, after I've done a half hour to 40 minutes of just working on the the issue. Usually for me, it's actually setting a bow in motion. So what I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll crank the shit out of my bow for like half an hour and I'll really focus on setting the bow in, in a locomotive pattern. And I'll even do that, that treadmill, uh, walk before I start running is I'll just go really, really slow and I'll set the bow every step. And that's how I address the, the micro within the macro. The macro is just the universal principles, the back chain dominant, um, stay in your columns. It's the, it's, it's all, it's the, it's the universal principles of movement, right? 
Yeah, like uh, I like the way you put that actually, because that even fits fits into the fractal type of uh, theory about it, right? So you know, the bow you can go all the way down to size of position from the bow. I think somebody posted that. I can't remember yeah. who posted it. Maybe the yeah, it was Doctor Brennan. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, Doctor posted that, Dr. and it, it's brilliant, right? It's it's fractals, and once you understand the fractals, it's just practice the fractal, right? So the practice the micro within the macro. It's mm -hmm. uh. It's brilliant, right? And uh, I like what Efren said here, um, where he's, he treats it like crawling or um, some type of pattern like that within the shoulders. So I think Coach Carly posted something like that the other day on a treadmill where she's moving back and forth. And, and like I could tell you're feeling your shoulders as you're doing that. That's even to me, again, the word spinal engine, that's working the spine like it's supposed to. It's not braced anymore. It's just it's undulating back and forth. I especially feel the spinal movement when I'm crawling. Okay. So yeah. when I'm doing, uh, I, I can't remember what the crawl names are. I don't even care. Right. When my, <laughs> when my knees are off the floor and I'm, I'm feeling it, as long as I keep the principles, as long as I keep the macros, it's all just to me. Now it's goes from micro to macro, right? Like yep. fractals. So I'm crawling. And if I lead with the spine, it's a different feel than when I lead with my feet. Right. Like, I feel like I can propel myself and propel my arms better when I'm using my spine. Now, I, I use that same motion for boxing. That's a lot of mm. what the Soviet boxing is, the old style. Not like American boxing, but um, you'll notice a lot of the really good guys like Lomachenko, a lot of guys from the East, um, use the style where it's almost like a step for every punch and they use rotations and it's, it's a very different style but it's much like crawling. It's the same type of energy that comes out and you're using your spine, you're bending, you're twisting. Um, yeah, it's, it's great stuff, right? There's applications for go to movement kind of like everywhere. And uh, yeah, that's what I love about it. It's kind of endless. Well, that's, that's simple. Right? Kind of why they're, they're universal principles of movement, right? Like what go to does, I think, in my observation is that they just offer first, like a different set of first principles. They're offering a different map. It's like, here are the first principles of movement. This is what you got to do to get closer to good movement. Here are the standards, right? Like there, the assertion that there is an actual right way to move, that the body was actually designed or evolved to move in a particular way. And it's like, here, look, you're going to be on a spectrum. The goda is the good, good stuff. Woda is the bad stuff. And you're going to land on a spectrum depending on how well you apply these principles, you might exhibit, you know, a handful of these universal principles, but not these ones. So you're maybe here on the spectrum, or maybe, maybe you're like a go to 10. So you're like, wait, you, you're fully go to, you're up on that part of the spectrum. It's, uh, it's just a grading scale for good, secure, safe, fluid movement. It, it makes so much sense that you would take, like, when you start doing go to, and you're starting to think about different parts, you're like, okay, the ankle. Here's a picture of an ankle I don't want, and here's a prime ankle. Let's get my ankle yeah. closer to the prime ankle. It's so simple. It's like um, everything, like most of the systems I've seen are so complicated. I've dove into so many different systems, and it's always like you, you're getting a few nuggets, but it's never complete, and you kind of got to put everything together yourself, which you know I've done. And uh, Goda was the first uh, system, maybe whack method as well, but go to was the first system I ever went. Wow. Okay. They're, they're onto something here. This is different. This is much <laughs> different. Um, it's much more simple once you get it, you know, it's, it's just like, look like this. Don't look like this here are exercises to get you there. Here's the proof with the video of like the best guys doing it. Um, let's debate that, you know, let's, let's see what is actually the best way to move. And that's, Kind of where I want to go with, like, I wouldn't even call it a debate. Maybe it'll turn into a debate. I'm not sure on mm. Monday. Four, four people on, by the way, is going to be. Uh, it'll be interesting. Be it'll be my gun. My, uh, my intention for Monday is not necessarily even to participate, but to kind of mediate and ask questions. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be the, yeah, I'll be the moderator. And, and that's kind of, that'll be my role because I'm more interested in, you know, we've, we've talked yeah. for, well over you know 45 hours now about these ideas <laughs> i kind of know where you and i stand on it um and i might you know i might ask some questions that, that could clarify and you know, that, that that's sort of my 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 goal is to keep it civil i know that um one of a kind Absolutely. fitness I, I just learned recently actually that one of a kind fitness has a little bit of beef with 
some go to coaches and there's uh you know some some I, I just don't want people throwing shade i just want it to be a conversation and some debate about ideas about biomechanics first and foremost yeah absolutely right and uh one thing it's even if somebody's incorrect about something right my ideas are just <laughs> wild and incorrect and you can get as mad as you want but at least it's getting everybody thinking right it's like what is the answer to this question if I'm wrong, that's fine, but at least it's getting out there in the, in the ether, right? Like it's out there and people are thinking about it and it's good to have debates, right? Like the best ideas will, you know, may not shine through during the debate. It rarely does, but people get to hear it in the public forum. Right. So it's, it's very interesting that way. And and I'm less interested in defending Greg, Greg Kevsky, like the spinal engine as mm. I am in hearing their ideas because they obviously both think about it quite a bit. Like, mm -hmm. If you're thinking about this all day and you're practicing movement yourself, you're going to have something valuable to say, right? So yeah, of course. I'm sure we could all get value out of it and, you know, we'll see where it, where it goes. Yeah. And, and it's kind of cool to have um, trainers on because, I mean, I'm not coaching anyone in, in movement right now. Uh, you work as a, a therapist, right? You work as a chiropractor. So you see people more uh, more clinically to help get them out of out of pain. And then these guys, you know, we both have training backgrounds. You own a CrossFit gym. I was a personal trainer for 10 years, but, um, the, the, the angles that we'll be able to come at the, these ideas with, you know, I think I, I kind of see myself more as a movement practitioner and someone who, you know, is just a voracious learner of ideas and concepts, right? Like I spent a lot of time thinking and studying and testing and thinking and studying and testing ad infinitum. And, you know, you too, you're probably one of the most deep thinkers that I've ever met. And, you know, you, all, all the knowledge that you have about the body is applied in a, in a practice, you know, a chiropractic practice and a movement practice. Right. So, so we're going to, we're going to have some really, really cool angles on Monday. I think really, really cool angles. Um, I got an email from someone a couple of days ago where they actually had a request for a topic for an episode. And I just want to. Uh, let anyone know if anyone wants to hear a specific episode, uh, please either send me an email to media at nofilter.net, or you can message me on Instagram at the art of move, or you can message Will. Uh, well, actually that's Will's Instagram. I'm at the body moves. So you can message me or Will, you can email me, you can jump on these uh, live on nofilter.net and you can request specific episode. We've had different guests come on at the request of like, I've, I've reached out to different people based on requests that I've gotten. And um, yeah, I mean, please continue to interact with us because we're getting a lot of really cool ideas from you guys. Uh, the next episode that uh, was requested was actually how to get started with Goda, like how to actually start from scratch if you've never done it. And, you know, I emailed this guy back his name was Anthony, actually. It's the same name as me. But I emailed him back and said, hey, look, Will and I aren't actually go-to coaches. And we've had some go-to coaches on. Um, and we have a go-to coach coming on next week where we have Bam coming on next week. So that's that's going to be a cool question to ask him. It's like, hey, how does how do people get started with go-to? Um, what I'd love to do is I'd love to talk more about our journey, maybe next episode, next solo episode that we do. We can talk about our journey of how we started applying and learning these things because both you and I went from a you know do it yourself perspective this guy's email specifically said hey you know like uh, a lot of the courses that they offer a lot of the get going courses are really really expensive and you don't know what you get and I can't necessarily afford to get a coach you know how would you do it and it's like well you know what we aren't coaches but we can at least talk about our personal experience and we can ask the coaches what you know what people would do so we'll, we'll, we'll do an episode for, for you, Anthony, next time. And, uh, and we'll, we'll cover that a little bit. Um, but that being said, if anyone does have requests for episodes, please reach out. Yeah, please do. We want to hear what you're, uh, what you're thinking. And we've got some awesome feedback lately and, uh, it's very inspiring to, to hear that you're, you're listening and we thank you for that. Awesome. Yeah, I got, like I'm, I'm absolutely humbled by the by the response that a lot of these episodes have gotten, and just you know, built continuing to see that community grow on Instagram, and um, you know, we're we're, we're you know, we're humbled. We're we're really really stoked and grateful. So, um, in the in the future, we're going to be creating some of our own courses to release uh, for 
we're working on a foundations course right now. So if you've been listening to this podcast and you love what we talk about and you kind of want a little more practical approach or a little codified or organized approach, um, probably by the end of the month, we'll have our foundations course that kind of puts everything that we've talked about over, you know, almost 40 episodes of, of content in the podcast and put it into a systemized approach to, to movement. Right. And so We'll we'll be launching that by the end of the month, and if you want to kind of get into that, you can DM us, um, and maybe we'll we'll do some early bird special or something. Not sure yet, but keep an eye out for that. But anyways, guys, we're gonna wrap up for that for today. Thank you so much for listening to the guys who joined us live. Thanks for uh, piping in, and uh, thanks for the comments, Efren. It's always nice hearing from you. And yeah, we will catch you on Monday. For our next episode, it's going to be 1.15 Mountain Standard Time on nofilter.net with one-of-a-kind fitness and Stillness Academy to debate whether or not the spine is the primary driver of movement. And that'll be a really, really fun conversation. So we'll see you then. Have a good one, guys. Let movement be your medicine.